take your copy of God's Word with me this morning and open it to 2 Timothy chapter 2, toward the back of the New Testament there, second of Paul's letters to the young Pastor Timothy in the city of Ephesus as he was leading and installing and equipping elders there. We're in the middle of our series called God's Glory in the Church as we're working our way through 40 days of prayer together as a family of faith. Uh, today is day 19, and that uh, means we're almost halfway through 40 days of prayer. And we are praying along the lines, uh, shaping our prayers through those things, those five functions of the church that we see displayed early in Acts chapter 2 as the church begins meeting for the first time. Things like worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship. And we're taking time each week to see the glory of God, His fame and splendor as it's revealed in the functions of the church. And so this week we come to discipleship. Discipleship and the glory of God. <clears throat> the main idea that I want for us to circle this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2 is this, that God's glory shines in the difficulty of following Jesus. God's glory shines in the hardship of being a disciple of Jesus and in making disciples of Jesus. It's hard work, but as we commit to doing that hard work to being conformed to the image of Christ and helping others to do the same. I hope that from what we see in Scripture this morning, that we would be committed to doing this, following Jesus, being made into His image, out of the joy of seeing God's glory in our lives in that process. It's been about 11 years since I proposed to my now wife, Nikki. We've been, uh, we were engaged for all of uh, five months, which I'm a fan of short engagements, if you care for that opinion or not, but uh, fan of short engagements. We were uh, engaged in January, married in June, and, uh, and I proposed to my wife in South Africa while we were wrapping up a, a short mission trip that we were on there, which by the way, if you're thinking about proposing to someone, uh, young men, do it in South Africa, okay? That's the, that's the place to do it. Beautiful country, wonderful people, and my plan all along was to, uh, to propose to her there on the last day of the trip when I knew we would be kind of in a, a large market where we would do all of our, you know, souvenir shopping or whatever before we got in a plane to come home. And, uh, and so my scheme was this, that we would go to the market and I would uh, happen upon a, a ring somewhere, a wooden ring or something made of bone or stone or, or, or something like that in the market, you know, some piddly little thing and, or, or whatever. And, and, and on, the sp- on the spur of the moment, I would, I would, you know, get down on one knee and, and propose to her. And I did just that. Um, uh, now, I wanted to make it look like I didn't know what I was doing, you know, buying a, you know, a, a, a $9 ring or whatever in the market as opposed to an actual engagement ring. But what I did was I surprised her when we got back uh, stateside after that mission trip with a diamond engagement ring that I had bought for her. Now, I purchased this diamond engagement ring about two months before we ever went on that mission trip. And, um, and so it was, um, uh, so anyway, I, I did not spend a lot of money on it, although what I did spend was a lot of money to me at the time. I was working five jobs in seminary, and you would think that the more jobs you work, the more money you would have and the, ni- and the bigger ring you could buy. But when you're in seminary, it doesn't work that way. So uh, anyway, so I purchased her uh, a diamond engagement ring. The stone itself was not very large, um, but it did take a large hit to my bank account when I purchased it, right? Why is it, how is it that, that diamonds, these small little clear stones, can be so expensive, right? We, I mean, they're smaller than the rocks that we, we landscape our yards with, and yet they cost infinitely more. I can buy tons and tons and tons of gravel for my yard 
uh, for the same price, that, uh, for the same cost that it would uh, take me to get a, a small diamond for an engagement ring. Why is that? Why are these little things so precious and so valuable? Even lab-created diamonds or uh, diamonds made in a laboratory are particularly expensive. They're not exactly cheap. How is that so? It is so because of their rarity. We don't landscape our yards with diamonds because we don't find them in abundance like that, right? And yet even as diamonds are rare, they are rare because of the process that is required for creating one. You know how diamonds are created? They don't, they don't just, you know, pop up out of nowhere on the surface of the earth. They're formed deep inside the mantle of the earth where pressures exceed 750,000 pounds per square inch. Just for point of reference, if you just squeeze your hand really, really tight, you can create, depending on how strong you are, between 80 and 100 pounds of pressure per square inch with the strength of your own hand. But diamonds are created in, uh, circa, uh, in situations of 750,000 pounds per square inch and in temperatures of over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's kind of warm. And on top of that, they're not created very quickly. It takes a long time under those conditions for carbon atoms to align themselves in the crystalline structure that creates a diamond. And then through volcanic explosions, eruptions, they make their way up toward or closer to the surface of the earth. Diamonds are valuable because they are rare, and they are rare because they are Uh, difficult to create. And so it is with being a follower of Jesus. So it is with being a disciple. Disciples of Jesus do not necessarily litter the face of the earth. We don't find devoted disciples of Jesus at every turn. They're not just laying around all over the place. And yet they are incredibly valuable in God's sight and for God's work and his mission in the world. Being a disciple of Jesus does not happen just like diamonds are, create, are created not without time and pressure and heat, so also are Christians, are disciples of Christ, made with a lot of time, a lot of pressure, a lot of heat. It's difficult. Being a disciple is a hard thing to do. Helping others to follow Jesus, to be formed into his image, is a difficult task. It's hard work. The point of discipleship, though, is conformity to Christ. To become this made by God's power in us, this beautiful person that looks, lives, acts, thinks like Christ. The point of discipling others, so the point of our own life in following Jesus is to be made into his image, and the point of helping others to, uh, to follow Jesus is to do intentional work in their life, to see the character of Christ formed in them. And it is hard work. Our church mission statement is that we exist to glorify God, by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We exist to bring God glory by doing the hard work of, of helping, of, of working to make ourselves to look like Christ and helping others to look like Him as well. The question before us today is this. In all the difficulty, all of the suffering, all of the hardship of being a disciple of Jesus, where is God's glory? Where is the beauty and the glory of God in the difficulty of discipleship. We turn to 2 Timothy 2 to see it in at least three ways. First of all, in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 2, we see that the glory and beauty of God is present in the difficulty of discipleship as he provides strength for the task. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's glory is revealed in the strength he provides for the task of being a disciple and helping to make disciples. Be strengthened, Paul says to to Timothy. He says this in the passive voice. This means this is something that Timothy is not doing for himself. It is something that is happening to Timothy. Timothy does not strengthen himself for the task of making disciples who make disciples. He does not strengthen himself for the task of being a follower of Jesus. Rather, he is made so by something and someone outside of himself. Be strengthened, Paul says. How? By the grace. Grace is the free gift of God. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Grace is... Uh, that the grace that God gives us, the gift that he gives us is in salvation is more than just forgiveness of sins. It is also relationship with him, communion with him, knowing him, being shaped and molded by him. All of this is the grace of God. We do well to think of and keep all of that in mind as we speak about God's grace. Be strengthened by the grace, Paul says. Where does it come from? That is in Christ Jesus. The enabling gift of God's strength for the work of being a disciple and making disciples comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Him present in us through his own Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts by faith. This is not pick yourself up by the bootstraps theology. This is not be a better disciple in your own efforts sort of theology. This is whole dependence upon Christ theology. We cannot be disciples of Jesus, nor can we make disciples of Jesus in our own effort, in our own strength, in our own power or capability. We need him to do it for us. And the glory of God is revealed as he strengthens us in Christ for this task. Being a disciple and making disciples is hard. I'm not going to lie to you about it. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Take up your implement of execution and follow in my footsteps. Discipleship is hard. It hurts, and we are weak in our own efforts and our own capability to accomplish it. We are weak to, to, uh, and unable to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. And so knowing that, God gives us what only he can give to accomplish what he requires. He requires our maturity. He requires our Christ-likeness, and he gives us the strength that is necessary for accomplishing that. So you may be asking, why is it that making disciples is so hard? Why is it that helping other people grow in their faith and in their maturity and obedience to Jesus is so difficult? Well, precisely because it involves other people. We as human beings are the ultimate X factor. It doesn't take much for us to mess up just about anything or for us to throw a wrench in the gears of any process or or a, a situation that we may be working through. We see the difficulty of working with people somewhat on display, or at least we can we can see it at work in verse two of Second Timothy two. Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Discipling is hard. Making disciples is hard because we're dealing with people. And yet we are called to do this, to help people grow in Christ. See what Paul does. Paul says to Timothy, you, uh, uh, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach to faithful men who will do what? Teach others also. We see this intentional generational cascading effect of discipleship even from the beginning we are called by christ to be disciples who make disciples who will make disciples and yet in that process of helping other people follow jesus 
We find often that the sin of our hearts pulls us away from Christ at every turn. That's why making disciples is difficult. Because sometimes maybe the younger, less mature person in Christ, the less mature Christian that you're seeking to grow and, and see grow in maturity and obedience and Christ-likeness, sometimes their sin pulls them away, pulls them toward sin and away from Christ. Sometimes even as disciplers, as those who are more mature, helping others to grow in Jesus, sometimes the sin of our hearts pulls us away from Christ and from those that we want to help to grow. Making disciples is hard because it involves people. And yet... It is what we are called to. It's a task that we are weak and incapable of doing on our own. And so God shows his glory to us in giving us strength for the task that he has given. Friend, do you struggle this morning with feeling inadequate to make disciples of Jesus? Like as a mature or maturing follower of Christ, thinking to yourself, I don't know if I have what it takes to help somebody grow as a Christian. Well, consider this morning whether you're really leaning upon Christ and his strength for the task or whether you are depending too much upon yourself. Listen, God wants to glorify himself in your life, Christian, by enabling you to do what you cannot do on your own. If you feel inadequate, it's, but, it's because you are, but Christ is adequate. Christ, Christ is infinite, has infinite strength and ability to make you able to be the one that you need to be to help others to follow Jesus. God wants to glorify himself in your life as he strengthens you to multiply your faith on an exponential scale as you teach and model and walk the faith with others who will be faithful to be multiplied as well. Discipling is hard, but the glory of God is present in there as he provides strength for the task. His glory is also revealed as Jesus himself models suffering, models the kind of suffering that we can, and the way to suffer as a disciple. Look with me at verses 3 through 7. Paul continues, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Share in suffering, says Paul. That phrase means literally to undergo the same kind of suffering as others do. So whose suffering is it that we are sharing in? The suffering that we share in as disciples of Jesus is Christ's suffering. Discipleship is hard because it requires hardship. It requires suffering. But the suffering that we endure in life as Christians is nothing compared to the suffering that, uh, for sins that Christ endured for us on the cross. But all the same, it's still suffering. It still hurts. It's still hard. And in all of it, Christ is the model and the master for every disciple. He's the one that sets the course. He's the one that sets the example. Paul does not call the churches, and he doesn't call young Timothy here to imitate him so that he can make more little Pauls. No, Paul calls Timothy and the churches to imitate him because he is modeling what it looks like to be made in the image of Christ. And so we who are making disciples say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't become a little Stephen. Don't become a little Paul. Don't become a little Timothy. Become Christ-like. Be conformed to the image of Christ. But being conformed to the image of Christ does not happen apart from suffering. We are called to suffer as he suffered. Not for our sins, not for the sins of other people, but we suffer as part of sanctification. 
We, we go through hardship, friction, pressure in our life as God makes us into his image. It requires that. So how does Jesus model suffering for us? Well, Paul points to, gives us three analogies, three illustrations, soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And each of these analogies in 2 Timothy 2 of suffering point to the suffering of Jesus who suffered perfectly, who perfectly lived to please the Father, who perfectly fulfilled the law of righteousness. Jesus who planted seeds for a harvest of souls in all that he did. And so we as disciples and in our discipling and helping others to follow Christ are called to do the same. So we suffer like soldiers obeying the orders of our commander who knows and see things that we do not from our vantage point. We obey God's call upon our life uh, simply out of joy in pleasing the one who has called us. We train our bodies and our minds and compete with all that we have in us for the prize of enjoying life in Christ to its full. We train like athletes. As Christians, we train like athletes, our minds and our hearts, so that in life we can uh, uh, live in a Christ-like way and receive the prize that is Jesus. And we work hard at the job of, like farmers, cultivating faith in others, sowing seeds of the gospel liberally, so that we can rejoice in the harvest of souls that Christ will glean for himself. In doing these things, being obedient to God out of joy, out of the joy that comes from obedience, in training our bodies to work hard, to compete according to the rules, following that analogy, to enjoy the prize of enjoying Christ, working hard like farmers, we do all of this as a sort of, if I can put it this way, self-imposed suffering. We put ourselves through the ringer in some sort of sense, as Christians, in order to be better prepared by God for when real suffering and real hardship comes. The daily spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, worship with other believers, right? the, the daily discipline of walking as a follower of Jesus, we take upon ourselves in order to shape uh, our lives and our wills to be more conformed to Jesus so that when real suffering does come from outside, we're better prepared to handle it, to work through it in a Christ-like way. The self-imposed sort of suffering of spiritual discipline, of, of challenging and being challenged by others in discipleship, in the day in, day out, walk with Christ prepares us for the suffering that God will allow and sometimes even causes to really press us toward conformity to Jesus. But even this self-imposed difficulty for the sake of God's glory and revealing the fullness of Christ. Even this is modeled by Christ himself, isn't it? He who, as the Son of God, took it upon himself to become human, to live and to teach among us so that he might suffer death for our sins and be raised in victory. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was not forced to become human, to die for sins. He did it willingly. He took it upon himself to do so. And so we also discipline our lives, for the sake of being made into the image of Christ. Tell me, friend, when you think of suffering, hardship, as a part of our discipleship, a part of our individual following Christ and even helping others to follow Jesus, are you inclined to think this is taking too long? This is too much pressure, too much heat, too much time. God, hurry up and finish what you're doing. Or are you inclined to think, if this is Christianity, I don't want any part of it. I thought following Jesus meant making my life easy. Understand this, there is no conformity to Christ. There is no maturity in him. There is no likeness to Jesus apart from the painful process of suffering sanctification. 
God has ordained difficulty to be that which shapes us into the image of Christ. Often we want only to see the glory of God in the end result of our suffering. I'm ready for heaven. Let's just get there already. But dear Christian, be encouraged to know that there is much of God's beauty displayed in the marks that are left by the hands that have kneaded the clay for worthy use. There is much of the glory of God in the glow of the precious molten metal in the midst of the crucible. God is glorified in our discipling as he gives us strength for the task, as he models what suffering looks like, and he's glorified in discipleship as he stands faithful in the midst of it, as he stands faithful in all of it. Look with me at verses 8 through 13 of 2 Timothy 2. Paul continues, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is glorified in our discipling as we follow Jesus, help others to do it, as he stands faithful through all of it. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ in verse 8. Why, when being a disciple and making disciples, why, when it is hard and painful, does Paul point Timothy to Jesus? Because as often as we fall, as often as we want to quit, as often as we do quit, as often as we lose focus in our own discipleship and helping others to grow in Christ as well, in the midst of all of our failings, Jesus stands faithful. So remember him, says Paul. Now at this time, Paul was bound in chains for the gospel. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. As authorities told him, you can't keep doing this. And he says, even though I'm in chains, even though I'm bound up and arrested, the word of God cannot be bound. Because Christ is faithful, his word stands powerful. Because Christ is steadfast, his word is steadfast. Paul endures by the strength that Christ supplies all of the persecution, all of the suffering that he goes through in his life for the sake of, as he says, getting the gospel and the word of of salvation to the elect. I suffer all of this for the sake of of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That word elect means those who are chosen by God for salvation. Now, I know that there's a lot of debate and discussion, even within Christianity, about the doctrine of election, but that's not Paul's focus here. His focus is not the debate. His focus is an enduring persecution so that the gospel can get to the ears of many, so that those who will believe and be saved will hear it so they may believe and be saved. Paul says all the suffering is worth it so that the gospel can get to those that God is going to save it by. He says the saying is trustworthy. It's like saying to Timothy, pay attention to this. What comes next is really important. The saying is trustworthy. And he summarizes in verses 11 through 13 that in every event, in every circumstance, Christ stands faithful. When we identify with Jesus by repentance and faith, when we die to ourselves, he is faithful to bring us to life with him. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. As we endure by the 
strength that he supplies, the suffering of discipleship, he is faithful to reward us with authority to rule under him in the resurrection. If we endure, we will also reign with him, Paul says. Now, should we deny him? Should we deny Christ in our suffering? Should we deny the process of sanctification through hardship in order to seek ease and contentment? Should we deny not just the person of Christ, but also the processes that he uses He is faithfully consistent to deny us before the Father. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. And even if we have no faith at all, He remains steadfast. He remains trustworthy. He remains true, unswayed and undeterred in all His righteousness. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Christ is gloriously faithful and consistent in all that he does because, dear friends, that is who he is. He cannot be any other way but faithful and consistent. Paul says he cannot deny himself. God is glorified in the ever-consistent presence and person of Christ among his people as they go through the hardship of being made into his image. Hearing all this this morning, you may not be a Christian, and you are perhaps hearing that being a disciple of Jesus is difficult, that that there's suffering involved. I have to deny myself, turn from sin, trust in Jesus. You may be afraid to start a walk with Christ, afraid to be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus, afraid to be a Christian. This morning, I would encourage you, by the faithful character of Jesus, who stands near to all who come to him in faith, who stands ready to give strength for the difficult task that he calls us to, who models the kind of suffering that we will ourselves endure as we mature in him and who is faithful to finish what he starts. If you're afraid to begin following Christ, look to him as the ever-present, ever-faithful Savior who will give you all that you need as a follower of him. Perhaps, though, you are a Christian already. You've been a Christian for a while. You're maturing, maybe even a, a what we would call a mostly mature follower of Jesus. But you are hesitant to begin discipling another Christian, taking under your wing and into your life someone who is less mature as a follower of Jesus. You may be feeling inadequate. You may be feeling hesitant. You, you may think, I'm going to mess this up. And I promise you, you will. But look, there is no mistake that you can make in the process of discipling another, helping another to follow Christ, to look like him. There's no mistake that you can make that Christ isn't faithful to overcome. It may be even the mistakes you make in discipling that God will use as a sort of suffering and hardship that conform you and the other person more to Jesus. If you're hesitant to begin discipling someone else, let the strength and faithfulness of Christ encourage you to make mistakes boldly in his name that he might use them for your maturity and the maturity of others. But maybe again, you're like me and you failed as a discipler. You brought someone under your wing in your life to help them follow Jesus. Something went bad. That relationship went sour. That other person whose heart pulled them away from Christ toward other things, maybe gave up on the process of discipling. Maybe you and your pride let them run away and do their own thing and say, forget it, I'm done with this. Maybe you failed as a discipler, and because of that, you just don't have much desire to start again. Well, look back to the words 
of chapter 2, verse 1 of 2 Timothy, and be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ to start anew, to start afresh. You may have failed as a discipler. You may have failed as one who was trying to grow in Christ, but Christ stands ready to strengthen you, to start afresh, to start anew, to circle back to that person that you failed or who failed you, to start with a new individual, helping them to walk with Christ more faithfully. Listen, God is glorified in the maturity of his people. He is glorified as we grow up into Christ who is our head. But he does not glorify himself in our ease and our contentment. God is glorified in the long, hard, hot, painful, but beautiful and blessed process of conforming us to Christ. Discipleship hurts. Discipleship is hard. But our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ, provides strength. He models how we are to suffer, and He stands faithful to do in us as disciples what cannot be done on our own. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us press into Him who is faithful to give us strength, to model how we endure, and to stand faithful to do what we cannot in the midst of all of it. In light of that, hear this prayer from our Puritan friends, a prayer called purification. And hear the heart of the one who prays this, asking that God would work sanctification, the hard work of being made into Christ's image in his life. He says, Lord Jesus, I sin. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never think that I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy. Command my tongue. Trample down self. Give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, pure, peaceable. To live for thee and not for self. To copy thy words, acts, spirit. To be transformed into thy likeness. To be consecrated wholly to thee. To live entirely to thy glory. Deliver me from attachment to things unclean, from wrong associations, from the predominance of evil passions. Deliver me from the sugar of sin as well as its gall that with self-loathing, deep contrition, earnest heart-searching, I may come to thee, cast myself on thee, trust in thee, cry to thee, be delivered by thee. O God, the eternal all, help me to know that all things are shadows, but thou art substance. All things are quicksands, but thou art mountain. All things are shifting, but thou art anchor. All things are ignorance, but thou art wisdom. If my life is to be a crucible, Mid burning heat, so be it. But do thou sit at the furnace mouth to watch the ore that nothing be lost. If I sin willfully, grievously, tormentedly, in grace, take away my mourning and give me music. Remove my sackcloth and clothe me with beauty. Still my sighs and fill my mouth with song. Then give me summer weather as a Christian. If my life is to be a crucible, if my life is to be filled with suffering and hardship amid burning heat as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, so be it. But do thou sit at the furnace mouth to watch that nothing be lost. Discipleship, being made into the image of Christ, helping others to grow in maturity and obedience to Christ is hard. It hurts. It takes time, heat, and pressure. It is a crucible-like experience. 
but there's no safer place to be but melted in the crucible with Christ at the furnace mouth, ensuring nothing be lost.